Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every single week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, this week is like no other. You know that my job and my purpose in life is to find and connect with incredible thinkers who can help shape our futures, who can help us make better decisions, who can bring us insights and inspiration in ways that we don't always think about. And today's guest is someone that I've followed for a very long time, read a ton of his work, and I feel really, really grateful to be speaking with the one and only Peter Diamandis. Now, he was recently named by Fortune as one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. As an entrepreneur, Diamandis has started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital, and education. He earned degrees in molecular genetics uh, and aerospace engineering from MIT and holds an MD from Harvard Medical School. Uh, Peter Diamandis' favorite saying is the best way to predict the future is to create it yourself. And my favorite quote from him is this one that I have shared tons of times in videos and speeches quoting him of how if you want to redefine the billionaire, it's how someone can help a billion people. That is the real definition of a billionaire. So Peter, thank you so much for doing this. And today we're talking about his new book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, How Converging Technologies Are Transforming Business, Industries, and Our Lives. We have put the link in the podcast section, in the comments, and everywhere across our bio, so you can go and grab a copy of the book as you listen to our interview today. Peter, Thank you so much for being here. A pleasure, Jake, and uh, and thank you for the interview. Um, I'll have to have my mom listen to it so that uh, she can appreciate my bio. <laughs> she, what, how did you? That's a really fascinating place to start. That you said that. Like my mom is so sweet. She has my bedroom that I grew up in in my home back in London. <laughs> it's still the same way. And anytime <laughs> I do anything that she's impressed by, she'll like put up a picture or fan art in the room and yeah. what, how does your mother deal with all your incredible no, same 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 and i'm so grateful for you know having such a, a beautiful supportive uh loving loving mom and i i you know it was i grew up from a family of doctors um both my parents were immigrants from the island of lesbos in greece and it was always expected i'd become a doctor uh, and it was so like, you know, I told my mom when I was about age nine or 10, that I was going to become an astronaut. And she said, that's nice, son, but you're going to become an astronaut. I mean, you can become a doctor. And I was <laughs> like, uh, I was like, mom. And, and so there was always this expectation and she wanted that for the best of me. Right. She knew that that was a great profession. My father was a physician. She should have been, could have been. And, uh, and she's extraordinarily supportive. But, you know, I remember years after I finished medical school and I was running my companies, she would like every once in a while ask, is there any chance you might go back and practice medicine? I was like, no, mom, it's not going to happen. But I guess my longevity and healthcare companies right now are sort of a practice of medicine. But a little bit. Did you enjoy medical school? I, I heard you find it kind of tough and it, was, it wasn't like, you know. I was really lucky that the medical school I got into was hard to get into and really harder to fail out of. Uh, I was running two companies my last year of medical school. And it was a, it was a situation that was much more akin to, um, how can I say, getting through medical school to graduate for the purpose of making my family happy, not necessarily uh, because it was like the most important thing in my life. And a lot of things that I spend time on right now, and I, and I think, you know, you and I share this in, uh, in common, is helping people discover their purpose, right? Because um, my purpose wasn't medical school back then. It was opening up the space frontier. It was helping humanity become a multi-planetary species. And, and I, I watch and I, I realize how critically important finding what, what Salim, uh, my, my partner at SU, um, talk about helping people find their massively transformative purpose. Uh, and there's a great quote that I love. Mark Twain uh, said, there are two important days in your life, the day that you were born and the day that you found out why. And, and so that's super cool. Yeah, I actually wanted to share with you. So I was very fortunate when I was at Accenture, they would 
invite Salim to, to speak fairly often. I'm sure you've spoken there too, but when I was there, I remember him coming and that's when I got exposed to exponential organizations and MTP. And it was MTP that actually helped me find my MTP, which was making wisdom go viral. And that actually yes. came from studying MTP in the book. And so nice. it was, uh, it's, it's been very, very deeply connected with how I kind of found articulation of my journey. Uh, so share us, share a bit about that MTP, because I feel like so many people are looking for their purpose and they're looking for their passion and they're looking for their calling. But MTP really nicely defines that, I feel, in quite a unique way. You know, Jay, I, I think that there is nothing more important than finding a person's purpose. Uh, an individual's mindset, right? It's like your mindset is everything. Your mindset uh, of, uh, for me, and I, the te- mindsets that I teach are an abundance mindset, an exponential mindset, a gratitude mindset, a purpose-driven mindset, a solution-driven mindset, because uh, how your mind thinks and processes information ultimately is the most important thing. You take away all of the wealth that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, whomever you want has, and you leave their mindset with them, they will reaccumulate that wealth. They will create a major impact on the planet with that. So mindset is first and foremost critical. Uh, when I talk about a massively transformative purpose, um, I think about this as uh, first and foremost, what is the impact you wanna leave on the planet? Not necessarily what makes you happy, what do you wanna do? What is it that is the purpose of your life And I think about your MTP as the canvas upon which you're going to paint. Uh, And your MTP, for me, my MTP was making humanity multi-planetary species, opening the space frontier. That was my first one. And I'm very clear with individuals, you don't have to have just one in your life. It doesn't have to last you your entire life. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can change it tomorrow. You can change it next month. It's important for you to try one on. And so for my first 30 years, 35 years, it really was opening up the space frontier. Um, and from that was born a multitude of companies uh, and, and, and projects. And then from there, you know, the X Prize was born, uh, which was a $10 million prize for private space flight. And I got very enamored as a result of that X Prize. It was the Ansari X Prize, it was won by Bert Rutan, funded by Paul Allen. Now it's commercialized by Richard Branson. But I became enamored with the idea that we can, in fact, as individuals, solve the world's biggest problems. There is no problem that cannot be solved, period. And and it might be hard. It may take a decade. It may require technology needs to be invented still. But I'm clear about that's what we as humans do. That's what we as entrepreneurs do. And so my second MTP was really focused on solving the world's grand challenges. And out of that came XPRIZE Foundation and Singularity University. Um, So since then, uh, my MTPs have have gone a few different ways. The two and, you know, I accumulate them, right? One MTP that I spent all my life, I still care about opening the space frontier. I still care about grand challenges, but then I've become very enamored of late with uh, really extending the healthy human lifespan. How do I add 10, 20, 30 healthy years on a person's life? to make 100 years old, then use 60, um, and then inspiring and guiding entrepreneurs. So the MTP is your canvas, and then I think about your moonshots as sort of targets on that canvas that you, you'll go after. And I've just, you know, I found too many smart people who honestly aren't sure what their passion is. Uh, they're we're hardworking, they're super smart, but they're not driven by a passion. and And that, when I say the word driven, you know, your MTP has to connect with a deep emotional uh, energy. And that emotional energy to fuel your MTP, it can come from, it can come from awe, like amazement of space. It can come uh, from uh, fear. It can come from being pissed off of an inequality. It can be, uh, you know, come from, a sense of just deep-seated childhood desire to create something, but there's gotta be an energy level there. 
because doing anything big and bold, any moonshot you take is ultimately going to be hard. And sometimes, as I like to joke, there are overnight successes after 11 years of hard work. And so at three o'clock in the morning, you know, making another dollar is not going to fuel you. It's going to be uh, making a difference in the world, making a, you know, to use Steve Jobs's phrase, making a dent in the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love that you said there was around, you got to try it on. And the reason why I love that is because we don't even buy a piece of clothing without trying it on. We don't place a piece of furniture in our home without positioning it and trying it. And it's funny that when it comes to passions and purposes, we're trying to figure it all down on paper, but we rarely try it on, like physically just put it on and go, how do I look in this? How do I feel in this? Does it fit? Does this need to be adjusted? You know, and it's like, that's the same mental process that it takes to find your passion and find your purpose. You've got to try it on. And you said that, I love that. So, so thank you for sharing that very, uh, very, very subtle, but powerful advice on, on how to think about our purpose and our passion. And I really want to dive into the future with you today, because what I love doing is, you know, you're fascinated by certain things and I want to follow your fascination so that we can unravel it for my community today. And I guess the biggest question, this was a, I used to live in New York city and about two years ago, I was, I did this little mini, just quick social experiment. I went out on the streets of New York and I stopped people at Madison square garden and Times square and uh, Madison square park. And I would just go up to people and be like, what are you most scared of? Like, what are you most worried about? And I literally got three answers. The number one answer was the future, right? People were like, I worry about the future. Another top answer was money. I worry about money. And the third one was like, I worry about my kids. And mm. it's funny because all three of them are so aligned. Like you worry about the future, but you also worry about how much money you'll have in the future. And you worry about your kids' future right now, especially with where the world's at. So let's talk a bit about just backing up and go, what, from your studies, your research, when the future is faster than we think, what is it about the future that we fear so much? And when we now, when we're listening to you, you're like, the future is actually even faster than you think. Should people be more worried? Or, or is that like a wake-up call and an alarm? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it was about eight or nine years ago, I just published my first book called Abundance. Uh, the future is better than you think. And uh, it was a magical moment for me. And I, I, it was something that came from my heart and my soul. And I remember sitting down with a gentleman by the name of Dan Sullivan, who's one of my coaches. And, um, and he said, you know, Peter, most people fear the future. Do you know that? And I said, no. And he says, well, they do. Why don't you? And I said, well, I guess I don't fear the future because I have a good sense of what's coming. And I'm excited about how it's going to empower me to make my dreams come true. And I realize that most people are fearful about the future because they don't know what's coming and they don't have a sense of what is possible. Um, and it's, of course, you know, there is a, there is a validity in as things are changing faster and faster, your ability to predict what's coming out years in the future, becomes harder and harder, but there's a reasonable ability to predict what we're going to see uh, in the next decade. Uh, and in fact, that book, which came out in January, uh, does a, a damn good job at outlining what's expectable in computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, augmented virtual reality, blockchain, and the implications that those technologies will have on the industries we live in, the retail, health, education, finance, insurance, you know, um, name all the, you know, real estate, there are going to be some definitive changes coming. When exactly they come, how fast do they come? You know, there's some variability, but we can be clear, we're going to have autonomous cars, we're going to have flying cars, we're going to have Hyperloop-like services, we're going to see higher and higher quality 5G with VR and AR transform how we interact with ourselves, our environment. And all of these things are going to change every single industry. So I focus on that. I teach that. I write about that. I blog about that. And I start companies based on that prediction. Um, 
But ultimately, my job is for people uh, to get excited about the future. So what I say is, listen, there's no on-off switch. You're not, there's not a way of like uh, slowing it down or turning off the progress. Uh, we have faster and faster computers being used to build faster and faster computers. <clears throat> more and more people around the world with access to all the world's knowledge, more computational power, more electricity, and so forth. And you can become scared by that. Or all of a sudden you can flip the model and be and be like totally empowered by that and saying, that's awesome. My ability to do stuff is going to be extraordinary. And in fact, it really is extraordinary. None of us truly understand how powerful we are, right, to change the world. Every one of us on our digital devices have access to more knowledge in the world than presidents of countries had 20 years ago. We have access to more computational power, more access to, you know, name it, pick it. We're, we're demonetizing, making cheaper and effectively free and democratizing, making available to everybody, all of these things. So what are you going to do with it? This goes back to the original question of what's your MTP? If you've got all this power, which we do, what will you do with it? What, what impact will you leave on the planet? But we also know that humans are, you know, humans make bad choices when they have choice. You know, we also know that when you look at the studies around, you know, I think what's that famous study that they did with like the jam jars in like the supermarket store. And, and you know, when humans have more choice and more information, the majority of us are not good at processing all of that. And therefore we find it overwhelming, right? And we get overwhelmed. We feel pressurized. And then we tend to make bad decisions. And you say it in your own words, you say we haven't had a hardware upgrade in our brain in over 200,000 years. You know, do you think that what part of our brain is not upgraded and kept with the advancement in technology that we've created? And what part of, what part of it's faulty or needs to be adapted out? So the challenge is that our brains are limited as beautiful as they are and as brilliant as they are and what they've created, uh, our ability to process the information that comes into our senses is very limited. Uh, our eyes, ears, touch, all of our senses are getting probably thousands of times more data than we can process. And so over the course of millennia, uh, it's not just for humans, it's for all animals, we've, we've created what we call cognitive surplus, uh, cognitive um, biases. And these cognitive biases uh, come from uh, the ability of the brain to use shortcuts. And so, for example, there is a recency bias. If you've heard a whole bunch of data, the data that you heard at the end before you make your decision, the most recent data is got higher impact to you than the original data. There's a negativity bias. We pay 10 times more attention to negative news and positive news, which is why all of the news on TV is so bloody negative. Don't watch the news. I don't. <laughs> we can get to that conversation. Um, there's a familiarity bias. We're tending to uh, credit people who look more like us or are more familiar from our own tribe, so to speak. Um, and there's all these biases. And these biases were made up to enable you to deal with a massive amount of information uh, in the most efficient fashion. And uh, the amount of information impacting us is exploding. You know, so you're a father and I'm, I'm not a parent yet, but I always find that when people are parents and you have two eight-year-old sons, that your worry bias and your, your, your like security bias changes. And that's what I hear at least. And so I'm fascinated to hear about what your excited about for their future and what you're wary about for their future as well. Yeah, I'll update it. They just turned nine last weekend. So they're oh. halfway, to eight, halfway to 18, they're fraternal twins. Oh, and I think about that. Um, uh, I, I am so digital in my nature, living and breathing in a digital world. But yet when I see them glued to digital devices, you know, I, I go, I have a debate in my brain, like, is this good? Is this bad? You know, they're, they need to be digital natives. 
you know, I want them to love this, but I want them to love the outdoors. And, and so I go through this, I don't know what the best approach for them uh, might be. So that's a challenge for me. Um, I, you know, for me, it's, it's, they're far more um, open to the world than I was. I lived in a very contained environment. And so it's like, what's the right thing? All of us, anybody who's a parent is constantly gathering lots of different models and trying to evaluate uh, what is right. But I think ultimately I'm clear that I want them to be good human beings. I want them to be empathic. I think we don't have enough empathy ever. I want them to uh, find their passion, not my passion, not their mother's passion, their own passion and use that to light their fuse. I want them to become able to ask great questions. I think it's ultimately the quality of the questions we ask in life that are the most important things. So that's really fundamentally, um, and I, I want them to learn the benefit of working hard. The notion that, you know, you can be lucky, but the majority of times, the things that I've done in my life that have been successful, like I said earlier, they're overnight successes after 11 years of hard work. Yeah, it's nice hearing that, uh, that vulnerability with the kids because it, it's nice how it just comes back to those essential kind of like fundamentals. Yeah, the essential fundamentals that impact everything. And it's, it's interesting because I remember when, when I was, uh, this is probably about, I don't know, maybe like seven years ago. And, and I remember I went to a talk that was organized by the Financial Times and it was Eric Schmidt. Uh, anyway, so it was about the book, How Google Works. And the book was fantastic. One of my favorites also. He was sitting with someone and that person was asked a question from a person in the audience that said, well, you know, what do you think we should be working on? And their partner said, well, you know, the, the world's going to be owned by data. So seven years ago, he said, everyone in the world should become data analysts. And if you become a data analyst, then you will be the most successful person as life goes on. Now, I like what you said differently there, that actually you want your kids to follow their passions, not your passions, not your wife's passions. Tell us about some of the skills that are going to be more valuable moving into the future uh, and, and how people can apply their passions to those. Because I feel like you see it more as a, a synergy between the two, as opposed to like, like, for example, I'm not, a, I love data, but I'm not a data analyst and, and I get data and I use data, but that's not the skill I focus on. You know, I say, number one, they should get into what they love. You know, it's become clear about what are you passionate about? And along those lines, it's really important to understand the problem in that area uh, more than anything else, because the technology is constantly changing. Right, the, the technology is constantly being updated, upgraded. And if you become an expert in a particular technology, that technology is going to no longer be here some single digit n years from now. But if you're if you're an expert in the problem space, you know the problem is going to still be there, or elements of the problem are going to still be there. So how do you become an expert in uh, what hasn't worked and the problem space so you can apply? new technologies to it. I think that's an important uh, set of, of thinking there. Um, again, part of me is, is teaching the kids. I can't teach them that. It's asking the kids, inspiring the kids to ask great questions because question asking, you know, we're heading towards a world, Jay, where you're going to be able to know anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. Again, you can ask any question and the data will be there to answer it. I, I like to use as my example, you know, asking the question, what's the uh, average spectral color of a man's jacket on Madison Avenue? You can ask that question and know the answer, right? Not approximately. There will have been, you know, tens of thousands of cameras imaging people as they walk down, being able to do the spectral analysis. And then you can ask another question like, you know, is there a correlation between any ad campaigns and what people are wearing today? Who knows? But it's again, if the data is there, if we're living in a world of a trillion sensors today, a hundred trillion sensors by 2030, these are drones, satellites, forward-looking cameras on augmented reality goggles, cameras and LIDARs on autonomous cars, imaging everything. You can start to ask unusual questions and get unusual answers. Yeah, I've got an unusual question for you. When you talk about 
you know, a multi-planetary species, if let's say we were able to create a new home and you were one of the first people to go to this new home, what would be the first rule or law that you would set in this new home? <laughs> and, and how would you ensure, because I'm guess, and again, I'm, I'm assuming, but I guess, how would you ensure that we didn't destroy that new home or, or is that inevitable? So here's, that's my interesting, I hope. Uh, so that's a, those are two different questions. Yes, um, yes, two questions, yeah. So the, fir the first thing is uh, that the technologies that will bring us to a new home will allow us to continually go to new homes. What I mean by that is, if you think of the earth as a living organism, we'll call her Gaia for, uh, for the moment, Gaia is about to bud, meaning part of Gaia will break off and become a new organism. And that budding will be some number of human beings, all of our data captured in the global internet, all the languages, knowledge, song, bird song, genomics of every species, Noah's Ark, so to speak. And so I can imagine us budding onto the moon, onto Mars, onto free space colonies like O'Neill colonies. And then as those colonies grow, um, they will bud again. You know, we have the potential to have trillions of humans out into the cosmos. So the first thing we need to do is, is make sure that we have, you know, plenty of room for, for growth. We humans do our best work on the frontier where it's really a meritocracy, where it's not the color of your skin or what you believe it's do you do the best work i'm still i'm still concentrating the back of my mind what is the first law i would pass <laughs> is it is it like maximize happiness i don't know it's do you, do you think moving to another planet is an opportunity to re to get right what we got wrong yeah i think one of the challenges is it's really hard to start afresh you know there's there's you know uh, it used to be that if you know in the early american west for example you know, 300 years ago, if you did something wrong, if you really screwed up your reputation, you could like move away, picking your name and start again. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen anymore. <laughs> your, your genetics and your facial pics and profiles uh, chase every place. And there's no place you can go really and experiment with a new government. It's like, yeah, I got a brand new form of government. I'm gonna take over Santa Monica and try it. That doesn't work. Yeah. So where could you do that? Well, there are two places. The first is that we're going to see this uh, happen in space. It's going to be interesting to see when we get off planet. Uh, is it going to be a government like the United States or China or Russia or whomever who says, oh, well, we're bringing our jurisdiction with us? Uh, or is Elon or Bezos going to say, no, 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 we're, we're starting tabla rasa and we're, we're creating something based on these first principles. I paid for it, my first principles here. Um, the other place that's gonna happen sooner and have a lot more uh, opportunities in the virtual world. I think we're gonna end up in a, in a future in which um, a lot of us are gonna live multiple realities in the actual world, but we'll have a persona and a set of friends and a existence profession in the virtual world so my friend philip rosedale did this early on in second life yeah um, but it's now truly going to become much more powerful um and you will see new forms of government experimented with there and maybe we'll find out what really works well new economies we'll find out i that's yeah fascinating i i'm loving where this is going by the way this is like i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm totally in on Every question I'm asking, I'm genuinely just like, ah, oh, I'm intrigued now. Two, two questions again. The first one being like, are there any civilizations or structures that you find fascinating for creating these? Like, are there any civilizations you've studied over time? Like, is it the Greeks? Is it the Romans? Is it the Egyptians? Is it, is it the Mayans? Is there, is there anyone, is there, is there any tradition or old or new that you think got parts of it right that you're fascinated by and there doesn't have to be? Or, or know, even a football team, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, it could be anything. Uh, uh, listen, I think um, 
I think there are elements of societies that have gotten things right. I think, you know, American capitalism and democracy uh, got a good approximation. I think there's a lot that is broken right now, but there's a chance to get it to get it right as well. I think the ability to have a, a different type of representative democracy where, you know, if you have to vote on an issue of space and you don't know about space rather than than in a direct democracy voting on it yourself, you can assign that vote for space to me because I'm tracking it and I think I know who I want to back. Right. Uh, so there's lots of ways of reinventing the voting system. There's lots of ways of, uh, of reinventing the economies. I think there's going to be the use of AI is going to play a very important role. But what's really interesting about the future, Jay, is far different from anything we know today. Mm-hmm. And this is the concept I write about in the back of my book uh, called a meta-intelligence, mm-hmm. which is that we're on the verge of connecting our brains with the cloud. Mm-hmm. And so our brains have 100, bull- 100 billion neurons, 100 trillion synaptic connections, everything you've ever heard, seen, feel, thought, uh, is resident in those synaptic connections in, our, in this couple of kilograms of, uh, of tissue. And just like our cell phones do a limited amount of computing on the phones, and the majority of the hard work goes from the phone to the edge of the cloud, and then the answer gets calculated there, it comes back to the phone, then we're going to connect our brains to the cloud itself. Folks like Elon Musk are working on this, Brian Johnson, Facebook, Google, I'm sure every government, major government is in some way, shape, or form too, of how do you augment a person's intelligence? And all of a sudden, if I can connect my brain to the cloud and you can connect your brain to the cloud and Julian on your team and Tali on my team and everyone who knows our work connects to the cloud, if I, can, if I connect with you through the cloud and know your thoughts so intimately, it is an extraordinarily different world we live in where 8 billion people are connected at a level of empathy like never before. And people go, that's a crazy idea. Well, let me remind you that you and I both are a collection of 30 trillion individual cells connected and working together. I see myself as Peter. I feel like Peter. That's my consciousness. That's my ego. But I have every one of my cells in my body is alive and processing. That's an incredible thought to have, of if we were able to connect our brains to the cloud and then share empathy and, and, and even just look into each other's thoughts and, and figure that out. My, going back to that second life statement in the virtual life, which I love that distinction you made that, you know, we'll have a second go on another planet, but more realistically, very early, like more sooner, not realistically, more sooner, we'll have it in a, you know, a virtual world. It reminded me of this very famous Seneca quote, which I just pulled up here where he said, we suffer more in, in imagination than we do in reality. And, and I wonder how much our mental health becomes harder to manage when we deal with a virtual life with virtual consequences, which obviously like a dream feel very real, right? Like, and you're now living that. And then you have to come back to reality and deal with that whole parallel universe thing going on right now and, and your mind being able to process that, where, where do you find someone's ability to manage their mental health when they're now dealing with rejection and failure both in the virtual world and in the real world? It's a good question. I have two immediate thoughts there. Number one is I think if you showed the average life of a person today uh, to someone who lived 100 years ago, they would not be able to cope. Yeah. I think that we live such a frenetic life of infinite entertainment, going from phone call to Zoom to meeting to all of this stuff, uh, but yet we do deal with it. Um, And I think we evolve social norms. We're not evolving genetically at a rate, but we're evolving culturally. The second thing is, and I spend a lot of time thinking about this, we are all going to evolve a version of Jarvis from Iron Man. <laughs> where Jarvis is an AI software shell. And we have that, right, in Alexa and, and Siri and Google Now. It's the early versions of that. 
And ultimately what's gonna be happening is that AI software shell is going to be able to help you cope, help you do analysis, help you process things, make choices, uh, and it will make it easier for you. Um, it will be able to answer you like, am I, am I seeing all the data here? Am I being biased by what I most recently heard? Because AIs, unlike humans, can expand to a massive amount on the cloud. So, um, yeah, I think AI is going to play an important role in who we evolve into. Our brains are sensitive to what we let into them. If you're letting in danger and damage and issues and problems all the time, if you've got the crisis news network, what I call CNN or Fox, I don't have a good acronym for them yet, uh, on all the time and just blasting you with every murder, every problem, every lie, every issue around the planet, then you are going to be just decimated. So you're, one of the things we need to do is be very careful about what we let into our brains. It's like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Uh, you are impacted by the environment you're in, what posters you have on the wall, what content you let in. And so that is such a fundamental, you know, you couldn't pay me enough money to have a lot of the content presented by television and newspapers and magazines. You know, they couldn't pay me to have me absorb it. And I'll just, as an aside, uh, Jay, you know, I started a, a secret project three years ago that we're now just beginning to tell the universe about. It's a, it's a project called Future Loop. Uh, I built a team uh, around an amazing machine learning scientist, uh, Morgan McDermott, and we built uh, an AI platform that scans all of the news around the world, scientific journals, uh, social media, all the mainstream news and so forth. And it's able to filter the news um, in a way that's really important. Number one, it can filter the news from a positive sentiment and a future forward sentiment and look at what are the exponential technologies reinventing whatever industry you're interested in. So you put in, you put in shoes or bananas or whatever, and you'll see the, future forward news of how that area is being uh, reinvented. I also, the system is able to create an avatar, a digital avatar about anybody, meaning it can create a digital avatar of Elon Musk or myself or Ray Kurzweil. And it can then say to that digital avatar, what news is out there that you're most interested in reading? So the system can say, Hey, this, this, uh, this article was recommended by uh, virtual Ray Kurzweil and upvoted by virtual Peter and virtual Elon. Um, and so you can see the news filtered in that fashion. Uh, and it, so for me, it's about uh, really being careful about what I absorb. There's so much extraordinary news out there, but because negative news sells 10 to one over positive news, we rarely see it. Totally. When, when can we start using that? So it's in, it's in a free beta right now. If you just go to futureloop.com and register, oh, so many features are going to be added. I love it. It'll, it'll be free for, or some version that will be free for many years to come. So it's meant to be a means for reinventing uh, the news you receive and very importantly, to shape our mindsets. Futureloop.com. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. That's such a great idea, right? I think that's absolutely brilliant because... I, I, I'm a believer with you. Like I don't, I stay informed, but I don't sit there watching the news. Like I think there are multiple ways to be informed and know what's going on without having to sit there in front of a TV. And I like the, uh, the crisis news network acronym, but yeah, it's just fear, 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 right? Like scare, 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 scare. And, and I, you're right. We stay glued to it. And so so yeah, no, at futureloop.com, I love that idea and I can't, I can't wait to play around with it. Yeah, I'm play, take a look and, and, and send me your feedback, but I will. I'm very proud of it and I'm clear about where we're going. There should be a means by which this site helps you predict where the future is going. It is, it is an exponential and abundance mindset. So again, how do you want to shape your mind? If you want to shape your mind on constantly being depressed and upset and fear, Fearful. Yeah, go watch the news. Enjoy. 
If you want to change your mindset to be an exponential and abundance mindset, a solution oriented mindset, then you need to choose something else. And that's why we built Future Loop. Yeah, I think it's great. It's, you know, when, when I first started making content, I, I read an article in the New York Times and they said, you know, the, the stuff that goes viral is generally either humorous, like comedic, and we all laugh at it, or it's, it's negative. And, and I was always fascinated by like, that's why I was like, could we make wisdom go viral? Because how amazing would it be if people were able to share meaningful, abundant mindset messages? And so when I started out, that was kind of like a hypothesis. I was like, you know, is it possible? And, and all I've seen, and this is thanks to the community and the audience that's tuned in right now and anyone who listens or watches this, it's, it's been insane that we've had for two years running some of the most viewed videos on social media or the most listened to podcasts. And it's like, it just shows that we as creators are constantly selling audiences short by choosing the easy thing to put in front of people. And, and therefore, it comes back down to all of us who are responsible for the content we create. Because when I started, people were like, Jay, who's going to watch stuff? I mean, you know, it's not scary. It's not, you know, it's not new negativity, but it's also not like, you know, no one's taking their clothes off. Like, why is this content going to work? And so it's like, it's, it's so interesting to me that I believe that people are, you know, people are more inclined towards these messages if presented in the right way. And so I think Future Loop's going to prove that too. So yeah, I, I'm excited for sure. So thanks for sharing that with us. And I'm glad we can test it out. I was going to ask this question about health because you talk about making 100 years old, the new 60. If you were able to do that, what would you hope people would achieve in that extra 40 years? You mentioned Singularity University earlier. Yeah, love it. Um, and I'm very proud of that. Ray Kurzweil and I co-founded it. him as the chancellor, myself as the co-founder and chairman. And there's a concept called the singularity, which is if you think that the world is getting faster for a number of reasons and the rate at which it's getting faster is itself accelerating. And there's a concept called the singularity, uh, which borrowed its, its name from, uh, from physics in the black hole, the idea of a singularity, that there is an event horizon. And thus singularity is a moment in time in the future in which the rate of change is so fast that it's impossible to predict what happens next. And ultimately, Ray's prediction of when that will occur is the late uh, 2030s, right? So uh, early 2040s. Think about that, it's 20 years away from now, you know, 25 years at most. And if that's the case, then we're living in a time where we're not far from having everything possible you know, where we have nanotechnology and AI and 3D printing and all of these technologies enabling us to, to make our grandest dreams come true. Uh, so I want to live long enough to see that. I think at that point, everybody becomes a creator, um, the ability to make your grandest dreams come true, solve problems and such. Uh, so I think uh, that's part of the equation. My other vision and I spend a lot of time in companies that are about stem cells and exosomes and wind pathway manipulations and, and a whole slew of different companies. I think a lot of it is living your full life's potential without having uh, the suffering, right? And it's how do you, at the age of 100, have the aesthetics, the cognition, the mobility that you had at 50 or 60, um, and you're not in a wheelchair. Uh, we're actually enjoying our lives. It's because right now we really have sick care. We have no health care. And, and you also talk about how, um, you know, in a decade, we're going to create more wealth than we have had in the last century. Sorry, that's what you say. It's, you know, with that more health, with that more wealth, I, I wonder what's going to help us use it wisely. Like, you know, because I always feel like having more isn't great if you don't know what to do with it. And, and I wonder how do we help people and ourselves know how to be prepared for that more responsibility. Because I feel like whether it's wealth or greater health, all of that is a gift. And, and it's almost like what we do with that gift is what makes it useful. And, and I feel like you sound optimistic that we will do something useful with it. I, I do. I think people, um, part of my purpose is helping people find their purpose. And I think people who have found their purpose are able now to solve more and more problems. The reason that the world is getting better at an extraordinary rate, and a lot of my work is showing that we are creating more and more abundance, 
is that people can find and solve problems greater than any time ever before. And there are more and more entrepreneurs. And, you know, this is by almost every measure um, making the world extraordinary. So, of course, I'm not irrational. There are reasons to fear. But on the whole, even though between 1900 and 2000, we had World War I, Spanish flu, World War II, you know, Great Depression, Vietnam, and 150 million people died, the world still got better at an extraordinary rate over that century. And I think that's going to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Things have, things have moved so, so fast. And your reminder for us that it's accelerating even further is, is another reason why we need to stay attuned. I think sitting here and complaining about the future or being negative about it or hoping that things would slow down or hoping that this technology is going to disappear, like, that's not going to happen. You know, I'm sure people wish the internet never happened and social media never happened. It's going to keep happening. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's better to know what's happening and be prepared than, than to try and hope and pretend like it's not happening. So before we dive in, Peter, to the last two final fast rapid fire rounds of this uh, podcast, I want to ask you, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you're feeling like you really want to share with this community and audience that you think is useful for them? Listen, I, I think um, it, we talked about mindset. We talked about um, the idea of shaping the news that comes into you. Um, I'll offer out that those who are interested in, in following my work, I put out a blog every Sunday called, um, it's, if you go to diamandis.com, my last name, you can, you can uh, sign up for it. And I really focus on how to help people view the world through this abundance and exponential mindset. Um, Otherwise, no, pal. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Let's dive into your last two. I love that. Awesome. No, and, and absolutely. I think everyone should subscribe to the blog. If you can, diamandis.com. And that's free, right? Every Sunday. Yeah, that's whatever. yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I love that. Okay, great. So this is our rapid fire round where we have quick answers. So each of these are fill in the blanks. You got to fill in the blanks. So the first one is technology should always. Create. Uh, abundance. Nice. When you hit a brick wall, <laughs> knock it down. <laughs> I only invest in people. I have no tolerance for huge egos. <laughs> nice. Being an entrepreneur means solving problems. Ineffective companies are ones that do not evolve. Oh, nice. To understand people is to know their passion and purpose. Peter, very, very impressed. Very quick. I was, that's very impressed. I don't think we've ever had anyone do them all that quick in that world. So that's, <laughs> and no cliche answers either. So very impressed. Okay. These are your final five. These are rapid fire questions, which means you can answer them in one word or one sentence. We may dissect if I want to, but I, I think you're, you're going to do a pretty Let's good give it a shot. Uh, the one, le these are your final five. The first question, the one lesson you feel helped you the most throughout your career? Uh, to follow, follow my dreams uh, and making a quick buck uh, was a waste of time. Nice. Okay. Question number two, what do you want to leave your kids with that you didn't have growing up? Uh, the freedom to pursue whatever they desire in life. Okay. Awesome. This is more generic, not about your second planet. If you could create a law that everyone would have to follow in the world right now, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, you know, yeah. I, I have a whole set of, I call Peter's Laws. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't I've know sold that. hundreds of thousands of these posters when I was in college. Uh, I, a friend of mine put on the wall Murphy's Law, if yeah. anything could go wrong, right? I was so angry at that because it pissed me off. I went to my whiteboard and I wrote, if anything can go wrong, fix it to hell with Murphy <laughs> and put Peter's law. And then it went on from there. When given a choice, take both, start at the top and work your way up. The squeaky wheel gets replaced. No simply means try again one level higher. You know, the best way to predict the future is create it yourself. So there, I've, got, I've got like 30 of them. I love that. That's awesome. I love those. We, we're going to have to see them in the next blog. Google Peter's Laws. You'll see the poster. Yeah. Great. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. Laws to me dissect our deepest values. They're the best at telling what we really care about. Okay, good. All right. So we've got a whole list to go there. And Okay. Two more questions left. Number four. What is something that you know 
that you think is so right and so true, but other people would disagree with you on? That the world is getting better on almost every level at an extraordinary rate. Yeah. Interesting. That is something that I think people would debate for a long time, for sure. So yeah, I agree. Good answer. And fifth and final question, what was your biggest lesson from the last 12 months? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I think one of my biggest lessons has been the ability to work and grow closer to my team digitally than being physically in person. I had very much a mindset of we have to be together. We have to come to the office and so forth. And it's been uh, pretty damn effective in terms of uh, operating as a, as a virtualized team. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Thank you. That is Peter Diamandis, everyone. Talking about his new book, Since January, The Future is Faster Than You Think. Go and grab a copy. We put the link into the comments and all of the sections with the podcast. I really hope you go grab a copy. Like I said, today was a fascinating one for me because we didn't really follow a script. I just went straight in on stuff that was really, really on my mind about the future. And that's what I love that you get to do that with Peter. But in the book, like I said, Peter actually breaks down the future of advertising, the future of education, the future of health. It goes deep into it. So whether you want to understand an industry that you currently work in, an industry that you're fascinated about, an industry you know nothing about, it's important to know what's happening in the future. So you may just go on the internet and look at trends of 2020 and 2021, but it's you know, this, this is like, this is totally beyond that. So I hope you all go and grab a copy. And Peter, thank you for your time today. And I'm excited to be in the same room with you, man. This is like- uh, <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Well, I look forward yeah. to doing this again and, and physically connecting as well. I wish you health and happiness and all. Uh, thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. And love to your family as well. And uh, yeah, really, really grateful to connect today, finally, after a long, long time. Thanks, pal. Awesome, well. thank you. This podcast was produced by Dust Light Productions. Our executive producer from Dust Light is Misha Youssef. Our senior producer is Juliana Bradley. Our associate producer is Jacqueline Castillo. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Rachel Garcia, the Dust Light Development and Operations Coordinator. <laughs>